Hello and welcome to the Adventure Podcast. This podcast is about helping listeners learn from and meditate on our sermons from anywhere at any time. Thanks for joining and let's get started. So when he had two followers, or zero followers, Jesus invited two guys to, uh, to come and see. Come and see what was going on. Come and see what his ministry was really about. Come and experience life with him. And after about 24 hours with him, they became enthusiastic advocates uh, of what he was doing and who he was. And so they invite two other guys using the exact same language. And we've kind of been walking through their journey with them over the last couple of weeks. And if you've missed any of those, I know we've got them online. Those of you who are online, if you want to go back and look at those, are there. And so they stay with Jesus on this adventure, and, and uh, Jesus... Jesus gets to a point where he's kind of stirred things up a bit in Jerusalem to the point the religious leaders are really irritated with him and they're, they're kind of grumbling and there's rumors that they're gonna work against him. They, they may actually kill him. And so he decides, all right, let's head back to Galilee. And so to get there, they had to go through a region. It's kind of like uh, Jerusalem's here and Galilee's up here and they've they got to go from here to here and there's a space that's in between that they got a journey through, and it's a space called Samaria. And there's two ways to get there. So one is you can go and you can take this road that kind of goes out into the wilderness and it goes around the mountains and it goes way out of the way. Um, or you can take one that would just go straight through Samaria. That one would take about three days. The other long way, which is what any good pious Jew and what everybody would expect Jesus as a rabbi to do, would take quite a bit longer. And in John 4, 4, there's a really interesting sentence. There's a really interesting statement there. And it simply says this, he had to go through Samaria on his way. Now, that's interesting because physically he didn't. He didn't have to go through Samaria. There was nothing, there was nothing that was making him, that, you know, there was nothing on earth that was forcing him to go through Samaria. Yeah, I believe he had to go that way because he was listening to the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit was leading him to go that way, because there was a ministry opportunity that was there. And I want to talk to you about that opportunity. I want to talk to you about that encounter that he has as he's traveling through Samaria on his way. But before we hop into the story, I, I want to suggest two things to you that I think give us a really important foundation to have the conversation that we're going to have, and to really maybe get a bit more out of how this, this encounter will apply into our lives. So we've been talking a lot about being salt and light. I mean, that's kind of the whole point of this series, right? That that God has designed things. Again, he's given each of us a purpose to help other people come and experience them, and we're supposed to be salt and light in this world. There's a couple of things that we really need to realize in terms of what that means. One, and we're going to see it in this story, is that sometimes being salt and light means going where other people won't go and in places that make us uncomfortable. It's the way it is. It is what it is. You know, in Acts 1.8, so we've talked about that great commission at the end of uh, Matthew, Matthew 25. Uh, in Acts 1.8, we actually get another, um, so he spent about 40 days talking to his disciples before he left. 
Here's another one of the, the things when he's having conversations with them in Acts 1.8, it, it records this and he told them, you're gonna receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you'll be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere. And then he defines everywhere. Where, how does he define everywhere? It should be there in your listening guide. In Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, so he specifically, and I, I have a feeling he was pointing them back to this encounter. They remembered this in Samaria and then to the ends of the world. You know, it's easy to be salt and light when it's a person that we love. You know, we've got somebody, a family member, a really close friend, you know, whoever it is who comes to us and you're like, you know what, I'm broken. And man, talk to me about God. That's best case scenario. That's the salt and light version we're all praying for, right? Your prayers, when you pray for that person that's on your mind that you filled in the blank last week, your prayer is, God, have them show up and come ask me, right? Hey, that's the best case scenario. That's Jerusalem for the disciples. Well, what if it's that person that you love, but they're not coming and asking? And we've got that dilemma. How do I go to them? And when I have that conversation with them, man, is that going to mess up our relationship? Is that going to mess up my place in the family? Is that going to ostracize me, you know, with, with, my, with my friends and with the people that I'm around, the group of people I hang out with? That, that's kind of the Judea idea. Sometimes God will call you to move forward and move out into the unknown, and it's going to feel like you're hanging out there a little bit. It's going to be a complete stranger. It's going to be somebody that you don't know well. And that's kind of like God saying, go to the ends of the earth. But on the other hand, sometimes he's going to call you to be salt and light to people you don't want to be around. He's going to call you to, to be light, to light up darkness in situations that even other Christ followers who are around you go, are you sure you want to go there? Are you sure you want to sure you want to go like hang out with them and have a conversation with them? It's a strange place to be. If you follow Jesus, I just want to warn you up front. You may end up in your own personal Samaria. It, it's going to happen. And, and so this is where Jesus, this is where the Holy Spirit leads Jesus to take his disciples. And I know, I know this was something they struggled with because there's a little note in verse 27 of this story that we're going to read. Look at John 4, 27. When his disciples came back, some of this will make more sense here in just a few minutes. We read through the whole thing. But it says when they came back to this well and he's having this conversation, they were shocked to find him talking to a woman, but none of them had the nerve to ask, what do you want with her or why are you talking to them? to her. I, I love that. None of them had the nerve. I find it hilarious and oddly comforting that even the guys who are walking around with Jesus day in and day out, you know, those apostles, the ones like in the stained glass, we put the halos on their head. Those guys who are perfect and who are way, way, way better than us, that they struggled with this kind of uncomfortability with Jesus as well. I, I love that. The second thing I want to lay out before we get into the story one of the struggles that I think the church has had with evangelism, we've got to quit thinking only in terms of lost and found. Now, I know there's that parable that Jesus told about the sheep and, you know, it wanders off and he talks about what's lost is found. I know there's the parables about finding lost things and how much God loves to find lost things. And I'm not taking anything away from that. I'm telling you, we've screwed that up. Look, what does inviting somebody to come and see mean? 
This whole thing we've been talking about the last couple of weeks, what, what is it really about? Well, can I just suggest to you it's not an invitation just to a moment? Man, too many Christians have, have bought into poor theology or poor teaching that reduces evangelism down to a moment, to some kind of an action, whether it's praying a prayer or whether it's getting wet, that guarantees they're going to go to heaven so that way we get a notch in our belt saying, hey, I got another convert, and we can look at them and we can, we can go, hey, they're guaranteed and we've done our job, and, and okay, God, now you can be happy with me. You know, if you go back to that, if you go back to that great commission, that, that, that directive that Jesus gave us, you read through it, do you notice that there isn't a singular moment that's emphasized in what he's called us to? Look at Matthew 28, 19. Therefore, go and make what? Disciples. Can I just tell you, being a disciple is not a definitive moment? <laughs> That is a lifelong thing. Evangelism is about an invitation into a lifelong relationship with Jesus. So with those two things kind of as our foundation point, let's dive into the story. So the stage is set. Jesus and his disciples are heading from Judea to Galilee, and the Holy Spirit is directing them to go through this no man's land that is Samaria. And, and the reason why this was such a big deal, so I'll give you a really, really quick history lesson. So uh, there was a point in time where uh, Judea had been overrun, and so they, most of the Jews had been taken out of the area, and some of them, they kept coming back in these different stages. Well, when some of them came back, they started intermarrying with, with Gentiles and people who worshipped other, other idols. And so yeah, that, was, that was not kosher, actually, to use the Jewish term. That was, that was not something that was acceptable. And so... These are people who are not allowed to worship now in Jerusalem. They can't go to the temple. They're not, they're not historically and genealogically Jews, or at least they're not seen that way. And so there was an ostracization from, from the Jewish people towards the Samaritans. And so the Samaritans kind of rewrote their own history. They, they, they established their own priesthood and their own temple and their own version of Judaism. And so there was this, there was this big struggle between them. They kind of hated each other. Um, probably equally. They, they even got into violent fights at times. And so Jesus and his disciples are, are, are traveling through this region. They're going through the region of Samaria. They end up in a town called Sychar, and there's this well that's in this town that, that history has it was dug by Jacob back all the way in the Old Testament, who is the common ancestor to both the Jews and, and the Samaritans. And he's weary from traveling, and so as they're walking into this town, there's this well that's out there on the outside of town. And he says, hey, guys, you guys go on in. I'm going to sit down and rest for a minute. Can you go find us something to eat? Because they're not going to stay in a Samaritan town. They'll probably camp out. Uh, go in, see if you can find us some supper, you know, scrounge up some, something to eat. I'm going to sit here. I'm going to rest for a minute. And this is where the encounter occurs. So while he's sitting there, a woman shows up. It's in uh, John 4, 9 through 16. I, I, know we, I know we talked about this the first week. We're going to deep dive, though, into, into really her encounter with Jesus this week. So it says, when the woman got there, she was surprised because Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. And so she looks at Jesus and she says, you're a Jew. I'm a Because he, I, I need to back up. He, when she walked up, he asked her for a drink of water. Okay, that's what starts this whole thing off. She says, you're a Jew, I'm a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? 
She's surprised that he's engaging with her in any way, shape, or form. I mean, the right thing for Jesus to do would be to get up, walk away from the well, have nothing to do with her, not even acknowledge her existence, and just, they would separate. And again, she's surprised for more than one reason. We talked a little bit about this that first week. Jesus is there at a time in the middle of the day when people don't normally go get water, So she's doing this on purpose. She's going there at this time period uh, because she doesn't want to engage with anybody. She's hoping all the other women in the the village aren't there. So when she gets there and he's there and there's somebody to engage with, that surprises her. I think that's one thing that's going on. But the second thing is he's a Jewish man and she's a Samaritan woman. And this just isn't proper. This isn't the way things work. Number one, they're supposed to hate each other. Number two, just a man talking to a... To a woman who is, is by herself, it's just, it's just not something that, that is done. And what, what Jesus does next is even more unexpected because he keeps talking. <laughs> he keeps engaging her in conversation. And there's a, a question in the middle of this story that people have debated for, I don't know, I mean, for, for hundreds and hundreds, thousands of years, as long as this has probably been written down, did Jesus know that she was gonna be there? Like, is this a thing where Jesus walked up and he already kind of had all the prep work done and he was ready for this encounter to happen? And, you know, this this goes back to this this struggle with Jesus is God and yet he's human and how much of it was humanity and how much of it was God. And I don't know. I, I, I I don't know that he specifically knew that there was a woman in Sakaar that he was gonna meet at a well. I have a feeling that's not the kind of information that he had. What I do believe wholeheartedly is that he knew he was supposed to go through Samaria, that that the Holy Spirit was prompting him to go in that direction, and because of that, he was looking for the reason. He was ready, he was looking for it going, I don't know why, God, you're sending me here, but I know there's gotta be a reason, and so he was paying attention to that. And so, even though he's tired, and even though he's worn out, There's an opportunity for conversation. There's an opportunity for this engagement and a reacher. That's a tough reality, isn't it? Look, I'll be honest. There are days when the phone rings and I look at the number that's popped up. Now it's a name all the time. Oh, and you you have that moment where you got to make the decision, do I answer this thing or do I send it to voicemail? You don't want to send it to voicemail too quick because then they know right, that you just basically, you, it, you, you realize now we can politely hang up on people. I mean, that's kind of what just sending them straight to voicemail is. Like, so you got that moment and you have that internal conversation. Do I really want to talk to this person or not? We never had that before, right? Those of you who remember like actually dialing phones, we never had that opportunity. It was like playing Russian roulette every time the phone rang. But anyway, you know, maybe you're busy, and you're, you're, you're running into Hy-Vee to get that one thing and you go walking down the aisle and suddenly your eyes pop up and it's that person. And you know that person, it's not going to be a short conversation. You're like, this is, God, this is not what I wanted to do today. This is not the person. I don't have time for this. I don't, I'm not in the mood for this. Hey, I'll, can I, can I just, can I confess something to you? And it's nobody here yet just because I haven't been here long enough yet. But there are times in Dubuque when I would see that person and I would go down a different aisle before they saw me in Hy-Vee. I've done that, we've all done that. 
What does salt and light do when God presents an opportunity? Man, even when it's not convenient or comfortable. Jesus engages. Here's the engagement. Let's read through this. Verses 10 through uh, 16 here. Jesus replied, if you, if you only knew the gift that God has for you, who you're speaking to, you'd ask me and I would give you living water. Sir, you don't have a bucket or a rope. And the well's deep. Where are you going to get this living water from? And besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoyed? Jesus replied, anybody who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. Those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Please, sir, the woman said, give me this water and I'll never be thirsty again. And I won't have to come here to get water. Now, we read through that. You know, you can kind of imagine how this conversation goes down because you've been in conversations like this to some degree. These are two different conversations happening at the same time. They are not talking about the same thing. Jesus is talking about this deep need that she has to fill this brokenness in her life. She actually starts to pick a fight with him. Did you notice that? I mean, that was the whole thing about you think you're better than our well. You think you got better water than us, Psh, you stupid Jew. Like that's, that's the, that's the art. She's starting to pick a fight with him to see. And when he goes on with it, then she's like, well, that sounds fantastic. But again, she still doesn't have any clue what he's talking about. They're having two different conversations. Even for Jesus, Face to face, we, we all have this thing. We read, through the, we read through the New Testament, we read through the Gospels, and we're like, if I were that person, I'd get it. Like, if I were that person and Jesus was talking directly to me, I'd get it. Why don't they get it? Why don't they see? Why don't they obey? Why don't they? No, it's not true. I, I just want you to see in here, I just want you to note, because this goes back to something we've talked about the last couple of weeks. Jesus is face to face with this woman. Words alone, even for Jesus, aren't enough. He's explaining it. She isn't getting it. Words alone just aren't enough. She's going to have to experience him to really get that what he's offering to her is something totally different than she's ever experienced. Because what he's talking to her about is something totally outside of her context for life. She doesn't get it. These conversations are hard to have. This is something I think all of us struggle with in some degree. And a lot of times it isn't just, you know, what to say or when to say it or where to say it. You know, maybe it's a conversation with somebody you know really well. Maybe it's a conversation with a stranger at a line at the store. Maybe it's a conversation at work with a colleague. Jesus is tired He's weary. Yes, I mean, he is the son of God, but as a human who's in tune with the Holy Spirit and how God works, I think there were some cues that he was reading, that he was picking up on that led him in this interaction. I want to talk about that for just a second for us. We got to look for the cues that God provides as we encounter people in life. Again, we're all, we're all praying, God, you know, show me the opportunities Sometimes maybe I think we need to quit praying for opportunities, assume God is going to put opportunities in our life, and maybe we need to pray more about God, help me pay attention, help me be clued in, help me be cued in to what you're doing so I don't miss the opportunities that you're going to bring. 
1 Peter 3.15. Somebody asks about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. Part of being ready to explain, our experience with God means we've got to pay attention to what's going on around us. God's going to provide cues if we pay attention. Do you see some of the cues that, that Jesus is probably picking up on? Again, the fact that she's at the well alone is a pretty clear indicator there's something wrong with her relationships within people in the village. The fact that she's purposefully come during a time when nobody else is going to be there, that's a cue for him to pick up on. Those are cues about what's going on in our life. Man, there are people who are in your life who are giving off some cues as well. Some of them are, are going to be really obvious. Some of them you're really going to have to pay attention to be able to pick up on those. Believe me, I walk through life, I walk through this room sometimes and my wife comes up and smacks me on the back of the head and she's like, hey, you missed that. You, 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 you were having a conversation with that person, you totally missed that body language, that thing that they said, you, you weren't paying attention to this. What kind of cues are we talking about? You know, there's all kinds of cues that we need to be paying attention for. Um, some of them may be aligned with a, a life stage change in people's lives. Maybe it's a graduation, a new city, a new job. Maybe it's a, a marriage or the birth of a child or the loss of somebody that they loved. Maybe it's the kids moving in or moving out. Maybe it's the kids moving back in. You know, often as we move through different life stages, we're open to having conversations and experiences that we weren't before. That just changes where we are. When people have new life stage changes in their life, you need to be asking them about those things. It just gives you opportunity. The cue may be due to a life impact. Maybe it's an illness or an injury. That's an easy one, right? I mean, we're generally clued in on those, although sometimes we're uncomfortable with really asking how they are, what's going on in their life. Maybe they lost a job or a house. They had a, a significant financial impact. You know, when we hurt, we really, those are the moments we really need God's people to surround us and love us through those moments. Maybe the cue is just a, a shift in perspective. You know, sometimes we just have those, those moments in life where, I don't know, I, the, it was always in front of us that just suddenly makes sense. Like this and this and this, suddenly, I, I don't know why I've had these moments myself where you're just, you're going through life and, you know, you've been told the same thing over and over by lots of different people and then suddenly you just, you look at it a different way and you just go, oh, that all makes sense now. I don't know why, don't know why now. But now I get it. Something clicks. We start asking the right questions. We, we shift perspectives about what life is really about. You know, here's the common denominator for God to be able to use us with all of these cues. Your ability to cue into what other people are experiencing is dependent on how well you're paying attention, whether you care or not, and how available you are. Again, it may be something that you notice in their demeanor, their attitude. Maybe it's something you see and you go, you know what? I've been through that. I know what that kind of feels like. I've been there. Here's what I learned out of that. Maybe, maybe I can help them in some way, shape, or form. Maybe I can come alongside of them. Maybe I can offer some insight. Maybe God's put you in a position where you don't have the answers and you've never been through it before and you're not the right person to help them, but God put you there to introduce them to somebody you do know who can kind of be there for them. And you know what? Sometimes, guys, this is really hard for us. 
Sometimes it's not about coming up with the right answers. It's just walking through life with them. That's it. Sometimes it's just about sitting in the coffee shop or sitting in the boat or walking the trail or doing the thing where we're just present. And that's it. That's the moment. You know, that's evangelism from a discipleship point of view. There's cues going on all around us from all kinds of people. Some of them we know well, some of them, again, to the strangers that we just meet in passing. How do we stay prepared for that? How can we be ready for the Holy Spirit to cue us in? There's some things that you can work on actively that will get you, that will allow God to cue you in easier. Can I give you just a few? One of them is one that Tony hit me up on when I first moved to Iowa. Actually, I hadn't even moved yet. It was when I was, I'd flown up from Florida to, uh, to come up here to interview the first time 15 years ago. The first thing is to be ready to be cued in. We've got to express friendliness. Are you friendly? Are you? Have you ever looked in the mirror and looked at your face and gone, do I have a friendly face? Am I making a friendly face right now? It matters. You know, one of the first things Tony told me, again, on that, uh, when, I, when I came up for my interview, we were walking through the airport, we'd gotten into, it was, his, it was a, some of you remember, the, remember the red Jeep, the, the, the Jeep wagon? We got in there, and we were, the Cherokee, we were, we were driving off, and we were talking about the difference between, you know, and I grew up in, in, I grew up in Kentucky, I didn't grow up in Florida, we were talking about the difference between ministry in Florida and ministry in Iowa, and and uh, he goes, hey, two things. He goes, just number one, wave at people and use your whole hand. And that is different from Florida because Florida, they don't use their whole hand to wave. They tend to just use one finger. Um, <laughs> and I didn't do that. I'm just letting you know, that's not how I waved at people. I'm just telling you that was the norm down there. And, and then the other thing was just, he said, man, if you want to be successful in ministry in Iowa, smile at people. When you walk into Hy-Vee or when you go into Walmart or wherever you're at, even while you're driving around, just be friendly. You know, that's actually really good advice. A lot of us are walking around and we're so focused into our experience that to be real honest, we come off kind of cold and we come off self-absorbed. And I mean, it's an honest question I think we probably ought to be asking. Am I being friendly or am I being cold? Am I being intimidating or am I being welcoming? You know, whether it's at work or whether you're in a line or with the waiter or the waitress, I mean, how is your demeanor? You are either putting up walls that other people are feeling or you're inviting them in. We have that choice every single moment of every day of our lives. I tell you, if you want to be used by God, Focus on being friendly. It will go a long, long way. It either opens or closes doors that you might not be aware of. The second cue is that we need to develop relationships. If you want to be cued in by God, man, the, the, the moments have to be there. And part of, part of that act of participation is just developing relationships. Now, that doesn't mean you got to invite every random person home for supper. I mean, I'm not necessarily saying that, um, but are you approachable? And do you ask people real questions? You know, we, the way we operate is we tend to, and I've got some friends from other countries, and they get so surprised when they come to the United States, and they're just walking down the street, and somebody goes, how you doing? And keep walking. Because that's not a question you ask in a lot of other countries, and keep walking. 
They expect that if you ask, how are you doing, that you're actually interested in what they have to say and they're gonna honestly tell you what their life is like. I know, it blows our minds. Um, You'd be amazed at what can happen when you care enough to ask real questions to people. And when you just, again, when you're friendly and they perceive that you actually care about what their answer is, it, it opens doors. And when you open those doors, it allows God to cue us into things that, again, otherwise we wouldn't have the opportunity to take advantage of. Third thing, to be ready to be cued in, we need to practice attentiveness. So again, you ask the question, <laughs> they actually give you the answer. Are you listening? Or are you thinking about where, you're, where you gotta go? Or what you gotta do? Or maybe you're in a conversation and they're talking about a thing and instead of actually listening to the question that they're asking, you're already formulating your answer and you're, already, you're, you're ready to jump in and step over their, you know, what they're saying. Maybe even cut the question or the answer short just so you can tell them you're part of things. Are you paying attention to the people around you? Fourth thing, to be ready to be cued in, we need to stretch our availability. Hey, I'll just tell you straight out, if you're not willing to be inconvenienced or redirected or refocused, you're gonna miss a lot of opportunities where God would like to use you, period. And I don't like that much more than you probably do. I tend to be, I, I am on a mission for whatever it is that I'm doing and I don't like, I, if I'm going to a store, I don't shop, I buy. Like that is my goal. I do all my research online and when I go in, I'm not, I don't need a sales associate to help me. <laughs> I, I, I'm there for a mission. And so it's easy to walk past and just go through life that way. You know, Jesus recognizes the cues and the next part of their conversation, for those of you who were taught manners, you're going to be squeamish by where he goes. He gets into one of those conversations. Look at verses, uh, end of verse 16 through verse 18 here. Go and get your husband, Jesus told her. I don't have a husband, the woman replied. And Jesus said, you're right. <laughs> you don't have a husband. You've had five husbands, and you're not even married to the guy you're living with now. You spoke the truth. Thanks for being honest with me. <laughs> That's quite the conversation, right? This is the one that every parent hopes their kids aren't going to get into while they're around them. Look, we all have people we wish we could have hard conversations with. Again, we've all got that brother, that sister, that mom, that dad, that, that person in our life. We want to have the hard conversation. We want to address that, that, that thing that's in their life that we know is just, it's breaking them. But we don't know how to do it. Be careful of doing it the way that Jesus does here. <laughs> I, I do, th I'm not gonna lie. I, I, think, uh, I think being as in tune with the Holy Spirit as he was helps in this moment. With that said, sometimes you will have the cue to go there with people. Before you do, make sure there's some things in place. Just real quick. Make sure first and foremost your life hasn't discredited you. It's gonna be awful hard to have hard conversations with people when you don't have integrity. It just is what it is. Yeah, make sure your online postings line up with how you would, how you normally talk to people face to face, how you're supposed to love them. Make sure how you treat your family lines up with how you treat other people. 
Make sure your speech and the choices that you make reflect Christ. And let me also just say that some of you are in here and you go, you know what? My life has been a wreck. I don't have a life that, that I, it does discredit me. What do I do? You know what? I think there's still a way. And I, I've dealt with this with so many parents who struggle with talking to their kids about not doing things, making the same mistakes that they made. And they go, you know what, I just don't, I don't have any credit to, to tell them not to go do this because I went and did this. Bull hockey. Own it. Own that thing. Own it up front and go, you know what, I know in my life I've really screwed up. I've got this and this and this. And explain what you've learned in Christ. Talk about, you know, how, how a difference in life, making different changes, how that's changed your life. When you do that, suddenly you get credit. So if you got some stuff that's back there, that, this doesn't disqualify you. You just got to own it. You got to be honest with it. I, I'll tell you this, people respond to, and God can use authenticity more than just about anything else. Also, make sure you've developed as much relational cash as possible before you have a hard conversation. Now, what does that mean? This is just another, another way of saying, make sure you're investing in people before you call them out on something. Gift of exhortation is three things. We talk about this in spiritual gifts. Encouragement, challenge, and rebuke. You need to be doing a whole lot more encouragement than you do either of the other two things. It takes a lot of encouragement. It takes a lot of investment to get to a point where you have permission in somebody's life to look at them and go, hey, I love you. Hopefully I've proven that. Now I'm worried about this, or I think this is wrong. Can I talk to you about this? Make sure you got a foundation of encouragement and a love that builds trust so you can have those hard conversations. Third thing is make sure you have that conversation in a loving way. Again, 1 Peter 3.15, we've talked about that the last couple of weeks. We just read it a few minutes ago. Such an important verse to talk about, about this purpose that God has for our lives. But don't miss the context for how we're supposed to carry it out in verse 16. Again, if somebody asks for your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. We got that part right. A lot of us don't like the next part. But do it in a gentle and what? A respectful way. Can I be honest and blunt with you? Some of us are not doing a good job with that. Because our words are not loving or respectful. And the way we carry ourselves is not very loving or respectful. What we post on social media is not very loving or respectful. Yeah, everybody is watching all the time. Just because it's truth doesn't always mean it has to be shared that way. You do not want to be known as the butthole of the body of Christ, okay? Every church has them. I'm not naming any names. Honest and blunt really can be loving, but you're going to have to work for it to be. Let's get back to that encounter Jesus is having. Now, he has her attention, but she tries to sidestep it. I, I find that fascinating. Here's a guy, you know, who miraculously engages with her about her brokenness, the stuff that's causing her pain and separation in her community. And instead of dealing with the issue, she tries to sidestep it into a religious debate, a secondary issue. This is a defense mechanism that we've all done and we see people do in our lives all the time. If you think people are different today than they were back in Jesus' day, man, this ought to just be proof that they're not. She tries to, to she back him into this theological debate and he redirects her back to the heart of the matter. 
This is his answer to her in essence. God's not looking for legalistic, worship, or legalistic religion. What he's looking for, he wants to engage you in a worshipful relationship every single day. And she answers to him. She goes, well, I hear you, but I'm waiting for God himself to show up and show me how that's supposed to work. And he goes, ta-da, here I am. Your prayer has been answered. I'm the God you've been waiting for. There's so many people who are trying to keep their options open today. Man, they will debate religion to wit's end, and some of you get sucked into that. Stop it. That is a defense mechanism. That's a distraction to get away from the things that actually matter. Sometimes those people are just waiting for somebody to be bold enough to quit trying to be PC about it and love them enough to make an introduction to Jesus. Do it lovingly, do it respectfully. And again, I know some of you really struggle with that. Quit getting suckered into the religious arguments. It's exceedingly rare to debate somebody from, to, to God. Man, quit fighting about who's right and wrong and just be salt and light. Live a life that reflects God and simply invite people to come and see for themselves. That's the heart of what real evangelism is. And that's what Jesus does with the woman. And we read this through first week, and I know we're, we're running short on time here. Let me, let me walk through this real quick. Here's the result of what happens, verses 39 through 42. Many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because the woman had said, he told me everything I ever did. And when they came out to see him, they begged him to stay in the village. And I don't know what his original plan was, but he stays another two days long enough for a lot of them to hear his message and believe. And then they said to the woman, we believe not just because of what you told us, not just because of words or conversation or arguments, but what do they say? But because we've heard him ourselves, now we know he's indeed the savior of the world. She goes back and she shares with the village. A village, by the way, again, I'll just make the point, she does not have the best reputation then. If we were picking missionaries, would she be the one we would pick? Is she the ideal person to go back and reach her hometown? Most would say no, and yet, you know what? The normal way that God works is to use the ones without the degrees, without the political ties, the ones who make the least sense to reach the people around them. And she didn't preach at them. She didn't try to convince them. She simply relays her experience. I know, some of you, you're so intimidated to have these conversations because you're afraid to get into a religious debate. You're afraid you don't know enough. So don't. There might be a time and a place for that later, but not at the beginning. The one thing that you have that nobody can argue, that nobody can discredit from you, is your personal experience. And I believe wholeheartedly that God has placed people around you that need to hear about your experience. They need for you to be salt and light for them. When you don't have the answer, the insight, Invite him to come experience him. Say, you know what? I don't know. Let me walk with you. I know this other guy. Let's talk to him, see if he has. Let's go back to scripture. Let's read through that. Let's, let's see. Let's go together. Experiencing Jesus for yourself changes everything, and that's what come and see is all about. I know some of you are having, you're dying to have a conversation about where God's word and truth fit into, into evangelism. It's coming. We're going to have that conversation. But for now, let me leave you with a different perspective on Jesus' command. This is, this is Matthew 5, 14 through 16 out of the message, and I'll just leave you with this. Here's another way to put it. You're here to be salt, or you're here to be light, bringing out the God colors in the world. God isn't a secret to be kept. 
We're going public with this, as, as public as a city on a hill. If I make you light bearers, you don't think I'm going to hide you under a bucket, do you? I'm putting you on a light stand. Now that I've put you there on a hilltop, on a light stand, shine. Keep open house. Be generous with your lives. By opening up to others, you'll prompt people to, to open up with God, this generous Father in heaven. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for your love, and I thank you so much for pursuing each one of us. And I thank you so much for the invitation that, that you've put in front of every one of us, and it is there, whether, whether it's somebody listening online, whether it's somebody here who's sitting here. Father, you are inviting all of us to, to just come and experience life with you. And some of us have devoted our lives to that, and it continues on, and I just pray that we would keep walking day in and day out experiencing life with you. And some of us, that is an invitation for the first time. Father, wherever we're at, I just, I just simply pray that you'd give us the courage to step out, the honesty to, to deal with the real stuff that's going on in our lives, and the faithfulness just to, to admit that we can't pull this off on our own. We need help. Lord, help us to step into uh, that come and see life. And Father, help us to be salt and light to the people that you put around us. Help us to be open to what you're doing and help us to be attentive and have the right attitude. Help us to be friendly and develop relationships with the purpose of shining your light into this world. I don't know why you use me. I don't know why you use us, but you choose to. That's the responsibility that you've given each of us who call ourselves Christ followers. Father, help us to be Jesus in this world, to be salt, light, to be your hands, your feet, speak your words, reflect in. We love you. We thank you for Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.